0: Welcome to the Meeple Syrup Show, where designers discuss design on episode 83. Yeah, 83. Uh, Yeah, so we'll be talking about player count as uh, the show gets going, and we'll be uh, introducing who our guests are in a moment. But first, got to jump to Tiffany and ask, what games have you been playing this week?
1: Uh, This week? Well, it is a Tuesday. So, so far this week, we... Uh last night Steve and I played Captain Sonar two player. How was that two player? Is, it actually was a lot of fun. We had a blast. It was okay. it was it was interesting. It was um I mean it's turn-based, so it's not real time, but it was oh, basically right, right, right. yeah, it was what I wished Battleship was. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like it was really interesting. It was definitely a game of cat and mouse. Um and they did a really good job. I I do, after the, I mean, it was one play and one like map set, but I do feel that it, it does well at two player. So it's pretty yeah. impressive. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So how about you, son? What have you been playing for the last two weeks? Cause we haven't seen oh, you. Oh, right. Um, yeah. I
2: played a whole bunch of um, Islebound last night. That was good. Um, so that's by Ryan Lacout and Red Raven Games. Very Lacoutish ish <laughs> um, in the look, obviously, because Ryan does all the art for his games. Um, it's beautiful. It's a neat little game. There's a lot to like about it. It's kind of simple, but kind of good all at the same time. You know, there's nothing too complex about it. You, you know, sail your ships around islands, and you get resources. You trade them for things. You build buildings. You can attack with soldiers and, and sea serpents. You know, because why not see serpents? Um, and then there's a really neat kind of influence mechanism there. So I, I liked how all the moving pieces work together. Uh, I think with every game, his games just get better and better. Um, you know, I, I wasn't uh, a big fan of, as big a fan as some other people were of Above and Below, but I like where all his designs go. I think they all have something really neat about them. There's always something that's just, a little bit quirky and a little bit special about Ryan's games. So I always, I always try them. Um, like city of iron was one of the first ones that I played of his other than eight minute empire. And that one, again, it's like you're playing it and go, I don't get this at all. And then all of a sudden it clicks just right. And you're going, ah, now I get it. Um Islebound clicked really fast for the whole group. So we all quite enjoyed it. Um, other than that, uh, I think, we played oh <laughs> aliens uh, versus Predators. So we got the predator set of legendary encounters and the alien set of legendary encounters and kind of shoved them all together and played them, uh, which resulted in my sons wanting to watch predator, which resulted in my sons nice. having nightmares. So yeah, thanks a lot, Upper Deck. Thanks nice. a lot. No, it's
0: monkey just you on monkey two nightmares. Yeah, me being
2: an awesome parent apparently. How about you, Daryl? What have you been playing other than uh, you know baseball?
0: Yeah, been watching some baseball. It's uh crucial Blue Jays time. Uh, but also lots of prototypes. Actually, a couple of prototypes I've been really working on. I don't know if I'm gonna get in trouble for mentioning this, but I think I'm okay. Uh but I'm working on a Space Invaders game. So Yeah, really, I heard that. So I'm really pumped about that. <laughs> and uh I'm also working on converting. Uh I had submitted a game to IDW and then uh they just recently said that they would really love it to be a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. So oh, there you go. Uh, so I'm converting it to a, a Turtles game, which I'm really pumped about. Because cool. we actually kind of designed it with that in mind, but then we were told we couldn't do Turtles, and then now we can. So we're converting it back. So. What?
2: Uh, who is the Space Invaders thing for?
0: Yeah, actually, they are a company that has not published games before. They, they actually make... Uh, Accessories, so like card sleeves, player mats, stuff like that. So, oh, I know what you're doing. Yeah, ah, there yeah. you go. Yeah, so, yeah, cool. So, working on a few things like that, but uh, don't want to take up too much more time because we have some amazing guests and we're talking about a really interesting topic. We're going to be talking about player count and talking through you know some of the, the best games for different player counts, and also we'll tackle some of the design questions behind player count. So, we brought Not only a designer, but we also brought a couple reviewers uh, so that Tiffany's not alone Uh, And we uh, can chat about you know What are some of the hottest games with different player counts, but also talk about some of the design? um, Challenges so as you can see we have Gil hova a formal ferret Designer of amazing games like the networks, and then we also have Jeremy Salinas and Dave David Oh, no, I'm drawing a blank on your last name Way bright, way bright. Thank you. Uh, uh Man versus Meeple, and if you have not been watching Man versus Meeple, uh, they have been putting out some amazing reviews and also some d- videos with uh, publishers and a variety of different kind of looks at the industry. So you should be watching them if you're not already. Uh, also, I just, uh, David, you're gonna have to unmute your your uh feeds. Are we muted you, um? So, with that said, I'm going to jump straight, straight to actually Gil with our first question. And uh, Gil, uh, from your experience, do you have to factor player count when you design a game? Yes. Start us off. Start us that's off. A, Tell us why.
3: That's the softball. You're starting me off I'm with start, a
0: softball. I'm starting you <laughs> off. I'm starting you off. <laughs> off. Why does it matter? What, what do you? What do you think about
2: see, when see, you're designing you know, a game? See, Gil, that us, Cana- we Canadians, unlike the Yankees. <laughs> You know, we we're, we're, we play nice, we're right?
3: Well, there. you're t- you're talking to a Mets fan, so oh, okay, you know, so you, you don't uh, count.
2: Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah.
3: Oh, no, no, as no. a Mets fan, I generally don't count. That's a. Wow. That, that is, uh... I forgot
2: you were a Mets fan, I forgot that. Yeah.
3: So yeah, no player count. Um. So I'll start with the way that that I do player count, uh, because it's really worked for me. Um. Yeah, I start with player count from the beginning. I I think about the kind of game I'm making, and then I think about, well, what's the kind of player count that's realistic? That's an individual player count. So for a lot of games, that's going to be three or four players. So, you know, I'm going to test the game with, uh, say, four players. In my first few playtests, I'm specifically going to aim the game for four players. Because effectively, every different player count is a slightly different version of the game. And you really have to respect and honor that, because there's some amazing tipping points that we're going to get into that once you add or subtract a player, the whole characteristic of the game changes. And you really have to be on the lookout for the emergent complexity there, because that one simple change might make an enormous, and I mean enormous, this is not hyperbole, like one Adding or removing one player, going from three players to two, going from four players to five, that's going to completely change the game and possibly even make it unplayable. So I start with a given player count, and once that's solid, then I start exploring the other player counts and seeing how the experience changes. Once I know the soul of the game at, say, four players, I'll say, okay, let me add a fifth player. Is the soul of the game still there, or has something changed? Same thing if I played it with three, and now I'm dropping to two.
2: Mm, okay, good. Um, Jeremy, let's ask some of the reviewers in the house. What are your thoughts on player count and what works in terms of rules when you have different player counts? Do you guys like it when they separate the rules out for different player counts depending on things that need to change? Or do you like it kind of all mixed in?
4: Yeah, sure I'll, throw, Jeremy. Uh, I'll throw a couple different things out there first. Number one, I despise, I despise games, games that, that lock you into in a, a specific game. player count. Most specifically, I'll talk about uh, Star Trek, where it comes in a game and you have to have three players in order to play the game, which functionally makes most people not be able to even approach the game or want to buy the game or pull it off the shelf uh, when they have a group over. Um, talking specifically about rule books, of course. Uh, some of the best games out there have uh, very specific rule sets based in the rules for two players or three players. And they take those, uh, those rules and they highlight them in the rule book, which makes it a very accessible to a number of different players. Um, but yes, locking players out with a very specific number of players, I can't stand that. And I typically try to avoid those games. So I don't know where David's going right now. He's exploring
1: my house. Yeah, I was like, where is he? This is just an adventure cam show now. Uh, I know, right? <laughs> uh, Which could also be fun. That could be fun. <laughs> yeah. I was hoping he would go down to the studio. Um, but I guess not. Um <laughs> anyway, so Gil, I the comment they use that different player accounts are essentially different games, that's huge. And I think that a lot of um a lot of Kickstarter designers fall in the trap of when they do a Kickstarter people are like, oh, I want this player account. And so they're like, okay, we'll do it. Do you have experience um, with trying to tack on an additional player, maybe like a little later in development or something like that? What are the struggles of trying to add another player
3: or remove a player even and go solo or
1: or lower player count?
3: Yeah, uh, generally, like I've had a few games that I've done solo and I admit that I usually do the solo version of my games fairly late. But solo is, to me, it's kind of a different beast because, uh, I mean, every player count is kind of its own beast. And that's the interesting thing about it, is that um, the only player counts to me that are really similar to each other are 3 and 4. There's only slight differences between the two. But one player has um, such a unique set of constraints that I find that it's best to work on the other player counts first... And then go to the solo game and see, all right, how can I get the spirit of this game with only one player? And with some games, it's not possible. Like uh, Battle Merchants, um, I thought for a bit about how I could do a solo mode. Probably you could do a solo mode if you did like a stegmeier ish uh, Automa system. uh, But I wasn't up for that. So... I decided to uh, do a. Uh, I decided to keep it at two to four players, uh, and even that Battle Merch's two-player version of the game. It's good, but it's um, it's. It, I had to put in enough rules that I got some backlash from players who felt like, well, there's a dummy player here. Uh, this doesn't work as well. It's not as smooth as the other player counts, uh, and. You'll find that if you put in like dummy players and things like that, you're going to get backlash. And that's, I think, one of the issues is if you stray too far from the base rules of the game, you're going to get that backlash.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I, I'm going to actually start a little bit of a ping pong back and forth uh, between our reviewers and Gil and uh, start us off with talking through what are some of the best games for certain player counts. And then Gil can kind of maybe bring up some of the design challenges that you know will come up with those player counts so uh i'm gonna start with david and put you on the spot can you think of any games recent ones would be great but even just all time that you really enjoy that can be played with solo mode if you if you ever do play any games with one which is that's a tough one so uh it, Jeremy, feel free to jump in as well if you can think of a few. I,
4: I can jump in real quick. It's interesting because we're we are in the process of doing a lot of different reviews right now, and one of them that's been on the back burner for quite some time. And David, I don't think you've even played it. Is the the Orleans Expansion Invasion? Oh, yeah. and it has six modes in it, uh, three of which are, are solo play. And oh, I have man. to say, I I am not much of a solo player myself, so. I've played all of the other modes, the cooperative modes, and the, the two other competitive modes, and I haven't even dug into them. So, I think a solo uh, having that solo experience is very unique to very specific style of people. Um, I typically am not a solo player. Um, I've got enough a large enough gaming group. And I find games intrinsically to be a a group experience. That's why I play games. That's why I play games now more than I play video games, because I have the opportunity to sit down at a table and experience that with a multitude of people and enjoy that interaction. Um, So, uh, to answer your question, um, my question is not answering the question, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, I'll I'll not
5: answer it as well. Perfect. Um, I mean, I feel the same way. I, there's a lot of other things I go to for you know, video games, uh, other things for solo-type experiences when I find myself without any friends around. But uh, two players and up is really what I go to most for board games. In fact, I can't even... I mean, aside... I can't really think of any more modern games that I've played in recent memory solo. Um a slightly and if you don't mind, a slightly different answer to that question, aside sure. from solo, uh, and what I thought you were gonna ask is there's some, some games I've played that are meant, you know, two to four, which I think a lot of people originally thought was gonna you know were gonna be higher player count games, but I found play so significantly better at two players compared to three and four, which is kind of the opposite of most games that you know offer up to three and four players, seasons being one of them. Seasons I don't know if you've ever played it, but that game to me at four players is almost miserable in my opinion.
0: Yeah, it's not good with lots of
5: players. With two players, it's one of my favorite games, and it it feels like a two-player game. It feels like it was meant that way, which I think is unique because I don't think there's a lot of games that play up to four that were that really feel best at two-player, but that that one definitely feels that way for me. You can look
4: at the flip side of that, too, and look at a game like Blood Rage, which is fantastic <laughs> at five players and is miserable at two
0: players. Yeah, you do not right. want to play Blood Rage for two.
5: Yeah, anything with a lot of conflict, I think, it depends, but uh, when there's a lot of conflict, uh, when it's all directed towards you... <laughs> from the other player, as opposed to being spread around. It's a little, you know, it depends on the player, but it can either be a real drag or people can get into that and go, you know, head up, head, head to head on that.
0: Uh, Sen?
2: Sure. Um, so design-wise, Gil, you know, what do you look for when you're designing a game that has maybe a lot, a big player count? And then trying to distill the same experience down when you have only two. How difficult is that? And what kind of design tricks of the trade are you using to do that? Say with like battle merchants or something.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's difficult because uh, Jeff Engelstein and Mike Fitzgerald recently tackled this on an episode of Ludology where they talked about chaos in games. Uh, and their wor- their term for chaos, is very specific and very deliberate. They're not talking chaos as in, "Oh, I didn't get to do what I want. This game's so chaotic." Uh, specifically, they're talking about chaos uh, as uh, the number of different w- directions that a system can go. So, if you look at a game like Blood Rage, uh, the interactions of the five players presents so many uh, different possibilities. Uh, I don't want to use the word complexity because that's not the right word. The correct word is really chaos. There's so, it's, The system is so chaotic that the result can be a bunch of different ways. And it's designed well enough that uh, that each way that it could go is very interesting. So that's one of the ways you can get that chaos is by managing interaction with a lot of players. So naturally, once you start stripping out all those players and you take the same design and play it with only two, it's not as interesting because you don't have that chaos. You need that extra actor to bring that chaos in. So the chaos has to come, come from somewhere else. Maybe it has to come from the game system. Uh, maybe it has to come from some sort of random element. Maybe it has to come from some sort of uh, deterministic element that's still so complex that it's tough to think through what all the possible results will be. So this is, uh, I think, what the Atoma system brings to the table. Uh, this is the system that stonemeyer Games has, um, and it's made by, I believe, uh, Morton Monred Peterson, I believe is uh, the name of the designer who's come up with the Automa system. But it's a deck of cards that when you play solo, uh, you make your move and then you flip a card and the cards are designed in a way that they intentionally um, tell you what, what the opponent is going to do uh, in a very calculated way. So uh, it's not necessarily going to play... Optimally from the point of view of a player who's trying to win, but it is going to play well in the point of view of creating chaos in the system and Making sure that you won't necessarily always be able to do what you can. So you've got to start making Interesting decisions because not everything is going to be there. Um, it relates to one more thing that I'll probably talk about a little bit later, is uh, the, uh, the uh, Matt Wolf calls this the decision scales. I think decision, decision scope is a better term, but yeah. pretty much the scope of what you can change in a game. So in a game like Blood Rage, there's a lot of global scope. You know, there's a lot of things... Uh, In the game that everybody can change. Whereas if you look at a game like, say, Notre Dame, most of the things is it's your own player board. It's a very local scope. You know, there are things that only you can do, and there isn't a lot that everybody can change. Generally, games with a local scope will scale better at different player counts, but they will be missing a lot of that chaos. Uh, unless the system provides some sort of chaos to replace that. Whereas uh, games with a global scope will be a lot more dramatic, but will tend to only play better at specific player counts, either high counts or low counts.
1: That's That's super interesting. I've never heard that take on it. Which is, it's really interesting to me, because Steve and I play a majority of our games two-player Um, just because that's, since we've moved to Oregon, we mostly just have ourselves to play with. So it's interesting to see, and now that you mentioned that, I am thinking of, and I can think of examples and stuff like that. But Mm -hmm. what about Jimmy and David? I mean, I don't know if you guys just want to keep tag-teaming questions. Sure. Um, On the topic of two-player games, you mentioned Seasons is a game that supports more players, but actually is one of your favorites, David, as a lower player count. What are other two-player games, which are your guys' favorite, maybe an example of one that has a local scope and maybe one that has a global scope, if if you guys can think that far based on Gil's question, because I think that's really interesting. Are you
4: talking about just strict two-player games or games that are multiple players that can be play, played as two?
1: I think I'm down for either. Anything that you feel is really strong, like the best two-player game, even if it, it does support more,
4: well, in my opinion, a good two-player game is something that you can set up, play quickly, and leave, almost kind of like a filler. So I would think games like Tides of Time, Tides of Madness, where the setup is literally 10, 15 seconds, the gameplay is quick to the point um, and allows you to, once you're done, to literally shuffle the cards and reset and play again um, those games are enticing, I know, to David as well, uh, just because they're easy to get in and out of, and you can, like I said, you can play it multiple times in, in one setting. Yeah, I,
5: to, to answer your question directly, I'd say uh, Seven Wonders Duel is probably right up there for me for two-player games. Um, the, what I'm looking for is something that's not so simple, like Tides of Madness and Tides of Time are good, uh, but somewhat something else slightly north of a filler that has a little bit more depth, like Duel. Um, We just recently played, uh, was it Fight for Olympus uh, Mm -hmm. from Mayfair that had a nice back and forth. And both of those games also have a couple different victory conditions where you can sort of like sneak in the win, you know, like on Duel with science or military or just wait it out. And then with Fight for Olympus has some similar mechanics too where you can win, you know, in in one of three different ways, which is... Just kind of uh, a nice layer of depth to a two-player game. Something a little bit more light would be something like a Jaipur. I, I know it's kind of a... Oh, I uh, love Jaipur. Old, old, old Jaipur is a
1: favorite, classic. I,
5: Sean. Yeah. Jaipur... <laughs> uh, I'll never turn down when someone says, hey, you want to play a quick game of Jaipur? Like, I'm I'm in. I've I've never felt like, man, I'm kind of tired of Jaipur. I say we all
2: go to a con and just go get David to play Jaipur for the whole (laughs) con. He'll never turn it down, guys. He'll never
5: turn it down. I promise.
1: If you see David at a con, just be like, let's play Jaipur. (laughs) Everyone on the internet. Just keep that in mind. (laughs) It's
0: funny. Well, I'm going to jump back to Gil here. Uh, I know he has a little more to share about the uh, the scope uh, topic that he was talking on, but I wanna jump us forward to a higher player counts, not necessarily talking party, but let's say like three, four, five player games. Um, what are some of the u- unique twists when it comes to designing those? Personally, I think three player is actually a very difficult uh, player count to design for. I, I don't see a lot of games that are best with three. Uh, so maybe talk a little bit about when it comes to games uh, when you're designing the, you know, the three, four, five player count, what are some of the, uh, the the challenges?
3: Well, let's talk first about I think something that's I think a really interesting topic here, which is the jump from two players to three players, because Jeremy and David mentioned something, uh, you know, that was that's really interesting. That in a two-player game, every move that I might make is going to have some implication on you you know, in a two-player game. It's all zero-sum. You know, everything that hurts you helps me. Everything that hurts me helps you. Uh, that's just the nature of a two-player game. Once you put in a third player, that's no longer the case. You know, maybe a move that hurts David will help Jeremy and help while it helps me. Maybe a move that helps me slightly hurts Jeremy but really hurts David. You know, the point of this is not to hurt David, of course. The point of this is, you know, that third player is really significant. And I'm going to go back to that... Um, that chaos episode because Jeff Engelstein brought up the three-body problem, uh, which is this uh, thing in astronomy where if you have two bodies that are orbiting each other, two celestial bodies, uh, mathematically you can it's relatively simple to plot out where they're going to be at any point in time from now to the end of eternity. I mean, it's just that's it's mind-bending, but that's just how astronomy is. Just because space is so vast and there's so few it other variables. does relatively simple. Yeah, but but all it takes is just a you know simple equation or two, and you've got you can plot out these positions uh, as long as you've got these two bodies that are uh, orbiting each other. The moment you put in a third body, you can't do it with a simple uh, equation anymore. You have to brute force it. You have to, it becomes extremely complex because of the chaos that that third body puts in. Uh, and that's exactly the same with board games. Once a third player comes in, you've got a significantly greater amount of chaos in the system. And you can no longer count on one player's move necessarily helping or hurting both of the other players. Uh, there's a lot of uh, richness that comes out of this but there's also a lot of complexity that comes out of this. And as a designer, you have to be really super careful about this. I think Patchwork, I think, is a fascinating example because Patchwork could have been a game that with almost exactly the same components, uh, the design Uwe Rosenberg, could have said, you know what, I can make this for three players. I can make this for four players. Just, you know, just at, on your turn, just move the marker forward and take your piece and pay for it, and that's it. And when it comes back to you wherever you are, that's where you are. And technically it would work. It wouldn't be as good a game, but it would work. And I'm really fascinated by his realization that, wait, this works best as a two-player game because the system uh, is most interesting when I look at my choices and I say, well, these choices aren't great for me, but if I take this bit, uh, it's going to be even worse for you. And that gets totally lost in a three-player game because the only player you're really interacting with is the player on your left. So that's the jump to the three-player game from a two-player game. You really start getting that richness of complexity. And as you start scaling up, you know, it becomes more and more like that. And you really have to start paying attention um, to this. I'm, I promise I'm almost done. You know, I know I'm rambling, but it is kind of a big uh, subject. That
0: Gil, you're I, here for a good reason. <laughs> we, love we love it. Exactly.
5: Gil, when you, when you have your online lecture series on game philosophy and design, oh let goodness. me know
1: because I'm signing up. Oh, oh yeah, thanks. no. I'll
3: subscribe. Also, I'm taking notes, like literally, Gil. <laughs> oh wow, I'm so flattered. I'm sweating now. Great. Thanks, oh, guys. are you?
1: Are you
2: bullet? Are you bullet journaling that? I am bullet journaling
3: this. Yes. All
2: right. We'll have to talk about that later. Bullet journaling and all that. I, never I heard understand,
4: Gil. Your your point about chaos and all that, but there's there's also a point in when the game is just is a game fun, and we're right now we're in the middle of doing a, a Kickstarter for a game that I won't mention, um, but. At a two-player game, which we have played, it loses a lot of the functionality of the game. Uh, That's a problem with a lot of of these large player games. The mechanics of the game uh, work in a a kind of an economy which requires multiple players to fuel the economy. When you have two players, that economy breaks down. Um, So that's a design challenge, and not just this game, but in multiple games that when you play them, You know, the box may say two to five players, but when you play them at two players, they just don't work. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah,
3: that's where that interaction from that extra actor, you really need that. Because once you drop down to two players and you don't get that extra interaction, you miss that chaos, and the system just gets kind of dull. Um, I experienced this with the networks Uh, when I... When I first tested the networks with two players, um, I tested one of my play testers is Michael R. Keller, uh, who designed Captains of Industry and Great City Call. Hall, two very, very good games. Yes, uh, and highly uh, underrated, very underrated. And so uh, he tested the two-player game, and he's like, "Yeah, this is okay, but it's it's boring," you know. And he was right. The two-player game originally, when I was working on it, was boring, and that was before I put in the burn mechanism. Uh, so what the burn mechanism is Love is every three turns. Yeah, it's so important because every three turns the, the game system takes cards away. You know, so it models that extra actor. So now you're not just looking at what your opponent is taking away. There's this extra dimension of I can't necessarily assume that these cards are going to be around. I have to plan for that, and that's that extra chaos that uh, that that the game needed. And it mm-hmm. sounds like Jeremy, the game you're talking about needed that extra layer of chaos so that when you went down to two players, there were still some interesting decisions to be made. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay.
2: So let's uh, move on to three-player games. Uh, three-player games are actually one of the areas that I love. I love three-player games. What are your favorite three-player games, Jeremy?
4: Oh, are you serious? Um,
2: yeah. <laughs> uh, you can also say none.
4: I, you know, I, don't, I don't know if any game to me... Um, Stands out as a three-player game, but as Gil said, that that extra uh, person brings chaos and brings the decision making um, to the forefront. It, you're, it's not a zero-sum anymore. You're making decisions against the whole the whole play group. So I don't know. All my favorite games play great as three-player games like twa right that game is a fantastic game two to four but as a three-player game it's fantastic because you're it's just one more person that you're trying to compete against in the cathedral and the military track and all those other type of things um we have uh oracle delphi set up right now which is the new feld game and once we're done with this we'll probably play a two-player game of it but i'm excited to play it tonight as a four-player game because feld games are typically better the more the higher player count you have Just because that controlled chaos, he's so good at designing his games that when you add those extra players, they just they add an extra dimension to the game that you just can't get in a two-player game. As far as three-player game, I I mean, I don't. It's probably not a great question for me because I think any of these these games play great as as a three-player. If typically, if it plays good as a two, if it plays really solid as a two-player game, it's going to play really solid as a three-player game. Yeah, I often
5: feel too that three-player actually often is the sweet spot when it's a two to four player game i prefer three player over four and and probably even two over four players because a lot of the games and honestly i think a lot of medium weight euros which is a lot of you know sort of of in mine and jeremy's wheelhouse better that way one thing I don't like is uh, I don't gravitate gravitate towards games that require three players. You know, there's more and more. In fact, we saw a lot of games come out of Gen Con that were three to five players uh, on the box. And to, if it doesn't have two players as an option, that is uh, problematic for me because that's I do often find myself in situations to play two-player games.
3: Yeah. So speaking of when you, David, when you mentioned games that uh, play three players, uh, it made me think of games that specifically and only play three players, which is a really interesting design space. And every once in a while, I'd say every few years, you see a game like this. Uh, one is Rise of the Triumvirate, that uh, came out uh, I think ten years ago, uh, and then a recent one is Three Kingdoms Redo, uh, which also came out uh, that came out like a year or two ago, and those are three-player games, no more, no less. Um, I wonder if you folks have played those three-player games, the games that are really very specifically balanced for three players and what you think of them. I haven't. Uh, you know,
4: we I got contacted a couple years ago about the the, uh, the Three Kingdoms one, and I passed it up on the simple notion that it was a three-player game. And I've had the new Star Trek game since day one Gen Con, and we haven't got around to playing it. Um, again, it's Maybe it's a mental barrier for me that I just, I, I don't know. I just, I just, they turned me off for some reason. There's probably a reason why those two games that you mentioned before, Star Trek, haven't been huge hits in the board game community because they are three players that you're, you're intrinsically saying that your audience has to have this player count. So you're automatically excluding all of those people. Um, it's,
3: yeah, that's interesting because uh, well, th- uh, Three Kingdoms Redo got some really good press. Uh, and I know that it's been pretty popular, especially with Heavy Cardboard and Heavy Cardboard's followers. Uh, but there, you get games that are two-player only, uh, and there's like a social acceptance of those. Uh, why is it that three-player – and I'm not challenging you. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just curious why uh, two-player games are okay and three-player games are, d- don't have as much of a record in the marketplace.
4: That's a good question. I mean typically if if my wife and I are gonna sit down for a game at you know at night when the kids are in bed, it's gonna be a two player game. If I have David and his significant other other over, it's gonna be a four player game. If we have neighbors over, it's gonna be a four player or a six player game or, or higher. I don't see myself ever in a situation except at a convention to play a three player game.
5: Yeah, Gil, I'd say to answer your question too. I mean, I think that boils down to there just being more couples than trios. <laughs> you know, <in> <laughs> literally i mean there's there's just uh everyone has more oper- everyone finds themselves with one other person probably more mm-hmm. often than they find themselves with two other people mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. many cases there's, um,
3: yeah there's i have to admit there's something interesting and intriguing about the three-player game though oh, uh yeah sorry i am I'm,
5: I'm super intrigued by the concept of what you were saying a game specifically designed that way so yeah. that it's when, when I said three to five, what I don't like about those is that generally those suggest the more the better. And that generally means it's a, a big massive long game which that really starts to have a negative impact on my fun factor for almost any game. Um, but something that's uniquely three players where every player is playing a specific role of some sort that That's intriguing to me, although I have to say I don't think I've ever played one. I was trying to think ever since you mentioned it, uh, but I can't think of one. Now I'm going to have to do some research.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, the three-player discussion is super interesting because I, I, I have seen the trend that you guys were mentioning where more games are coming out that seem to have three to five players as the base, and I wonder if that's just because there is a stronger... I wonder if it's partially because there's a stronger demand for people to not just rush two-player games, um, if that makes sense, because there's been so many two-player specific reviewers coming out. But I actually want to talk about four-player now. Um, So Gil, you were mentioning that in two-player, it's this like tug-of-war almost um, equals some system. And four-player, I feel, has the potential of that, especially if we're playing with two couples. Because um, I've played some games where you know you just go against your partner or something like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. But how does the chaos and the the equal sum system work for a four player game when you're designing it? Because it's also oh. the the one that I feel most companies aim or publish for. Is yes.
3: Four-player. Yeah, I mean, four-player. There's you mentioned there's two ways to do it. If you do a four-player partnership, it's effectively a two-player game. You know, it's a mm-hmm. two-sided game. Uh, even the it's got its own wrinkles because there are four players in it. It's just that there's two teams. But to your question, I think you're really asking about the traditional four-player game. Where out of the four players, there's generally going to be only one winner. So um, I think that's uh, a really interesting thing because that's I think the it's, to me, I, I agree with you. Most publishers and designers, myself included, really look at the four-player game as uh, the real bedrock of the system. You, know, you take one player out, and I find that I have to make some adjustments. Uh, I have to reduce the decision space sometimes. Uh, whereas uh, you add one player, and that's just the extra tipping point uh, that increases extra chaos um, and increases the player t- the, the time and the downtime, and it just becomes an issue. So it's uh, it's it's interesting also because you 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 look at the, the extra player cap. So a two-player game, uh, given players of equal skill, uh, one player is going to win half the time. Play a three-player game; one player is going to win thirty-three percent of the time, given equal skill. Four-player game; now one player is going to win twenty-five percent of the time. And I think you're going to start to see like this extra level of challenge. The more players there are, I think I think four-player is a about the limit of a strategy game. Uh, some games are five players, but most of the time when you see a strategy game, you see that it's a, it maxes out at four players. Just because with a lot of strategy games, if they want to keep that uh, global space and they want to keep a relatively low interaction, if they go above four players, it either starts to feel too chaotic or it starts to feel too boring. And an example, I think. Um, is uh well let me take it up to five just for a quick instant uh alhambra i think is a great example of a game where uh the player count is not what it says on the box you know it says two to six on the box it is not a six player game never play six never uh, unless you're playing with the vizier's favor that's a good six player expansion I think that works really... You disagree, Daryl? You don't think it works... No, with a Viz-
0: it's not. No, I don't play six.
3: Oh, with a Vizier's favor, it's actually... No. That actually helps a lot. I think, it helps, anyway.
0: but it doesn't... It's still not ideal.
3: Fair enough. Uh, so we can agree that six-player Alhambra is problematic, and the reason is you make your decision and there's no point in looking at the board until it comes back to you. It's just elevator music while everybody else takes their turn. And with a game like that, a player's turn is just long enough that the downtime is just painful. Uh, So jumping back to a four-player game, uh, there are some times when uh, in a four-player game that's about the limit where if you add one more player, you're going to get that downtime elevator music issue, uh, and you definitely don't want that in your in your design you know you want uh the turns to be quick enough but also players decisions to be interesting enough that when it comes back around to you you've been thinking about your turn and it's been worthwhile to think about your turn because the player to your right didn't just make the move that you wanted for the fifth straight turn it's okay if that happens every once in a while in a really dramatic moment but if it happens every single turn then there's a problem with the game so four-player generally is the player count where you get everything seems to work in concert with each other. You know you can keep the game state in a good enough place. Everything's reliable. Everything is uh, you can make decisions despite how many other players there are, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Every once in a while, you get a game that that doesn't work, and I think a good example that a lot of people have been talking about lately is Grand Austria Hotel. Uh, have you guys played that? Oh yeah, yes. yeah.
0: Only, only two or three players.
3: Love yeah. it. No yeah. four
0: player. No four. Yeah, player.
3: yeah. No four player. That's and that's a great example of the player one takes their turn and then has to wait two, three, four, four, three, two. And even though the amount of measurable downtime is the same, like if you look at the total downtime, it would have been the same as one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. The fact that you had to wait for uh, six other turns until it came comes back around to you is boring. You know, it's not that interesting, especially a game with as much to do on your turn as that one. Yeah, um, long long turns. Yeah. That also happens if you have a first player that rotates around the table. Like, uh, I'm first player. I take my turn, the first player rotates, and I'm, I'm going to be the last player. So in that case, turns to better be quick, as otherwise uh, you're going to be sitting around and waiting for a long time. Or you have something like Puerto Rico, where even if it's not your turn, there's still things you do on another player's turn. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. Great stuff. Uh, let's jump uh, forward to six-plus players, and I'm going to uh, push this question first to David and then Jeremy. Um, tell us a little bit about games. I'm, I know more your wheelhouse is games that are you know three, four-player strategy games or two-player strategy games, but have there been, you know, A, recently, some games that have handled six-plus well, or are there some gems that uh, you still go to if, say, you have some friends over – or you've gathered a bunch of people who are at a co- convention that are strong game experiences at six plus, and you can't really imagine them uh, sure. lower. Uh, sure. well,
5: once we start talking about six players, plus, or, you know, uh, upwards of six players, uh, it really gets into party, more party game territory for me. I mean, I really can't speak to much experience where I'm playing a serious, even medium to heavy type game with that many players. Um, but and 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 a lot of those games, even not a party game, but more of an experiential game, Like I, I feel like Mysterium and things like that are really good with a high player count, but it's not as much of a quote-unquote game, if you will. Uh, something where we're all experiencing it together. Uh, that's where I think co-op becomes a little bit more interesting to me, which is not no. generally as interesting of a category for no. me. Uh, but when we're all in it together, uh, particularly when you get six people together, you' got you you're just dealing with six six personalities compared to maybe a couple so uh finding those games that work with just about anyone uh, becomes a little bit more important when you have that many people at the table
0: and Jeremy, do you want to jump in with a few
4: yeah something absolutely um well Seven wonders always works fantastic uh, multiplayer um uh, uh, recently played Secret Hitler which is a really good yeah. social um, multiplayer game that scales really well no matter how many players that you have I think the baseline is five four or five
5: yeah I think you need at least four, four. at least maybe even five they, to make that yeah, game work. it is five,
4: five up to ten um, yeah those two but the, the other thing I wanted to mention briefly I don't think we've really touched on is that a lot of gamers including my wife and I'll speak on her behalf a lot of people enjoy games at a lower play account for this reason. They like building things in front of them. And the less players you have, the more you have the opportunity to build something and have an experience where you're looking at something from scratch be built out in front of you. As you add more players, that typically decreases. Now, there's some games that do that really well, like Civilizations, Admire Civilization. No matter if you have three players or four players, you're still building this huge tableau in front of you. Uh, same thing with Seven Wonders. It doesn't matter if you're playing with three players or you're playing with seven. You're still building the same number of, uh, of actions in front of you. Now that typically increases and your options decrease when you have multiple players. So that's something a lot of people consider when they're looking at a game. Um, how does this scale? Well, it may scale mechanically great, but your options and your ability to play the game that you typically... Say you play something really well in a two-player game, say Zulkin, for example. When you add that third and fourth player, your options become extremely limited because you have more things on the board. So that's something people should consider and people take into uh, consideration when they buy a game. Those are
2: really good points, Jeremy. Uh, From a design perspective, Mr. Hova, what's going on once you get up above that magic 4-5 number? Are we really seriously all just party game designers at that point, or is there a way to get strategy? Not,
3: there is absolutely a way to get strategy, because there's two directions you can go, uh, and we're going to bring uh, the scopes back into it. So uh, one way you can do it is uh, you can go – well, most people think party games. They think of chaos, like really crazy, chaotic party games. Uh, so that's an example of global scope. So look at Six Nymphs, for example. Um, you're pretty much – the whole appeal of Six Nymphs is you're working – on something that has a very tiny global scope. And the more players there are, the more chaotic it's going to be. And in the case of a design like Six Nymph, the more fun it's going to be, and the funnier it's going to be. Because the whole fun of that game is its unpredictability. That I played this high card, and I have no idea if I'm going to survive or not. If I'm going to, you know, I might get away unscathed. I might be eating a lot of meat. We don't know yet. Uh, So, and I think that works because of its global scope. Because everything that everyone plays goes into four shared columns that are right in the middle. And that's also why 6NIMP doesn't work so well with fewer players. It's really not a great two-player game because it needs all that chaos in order to work. So that's global scope, and that's how a lot of party games function. You know, they work off of that um, th- that interactivity. The other extreme that you go to is going heavily in local scope. Uh, and Matt also used a different term. He called he's There's a third scope, adjacent scope, where it's between the two. So with adjacent scope, you're affecting other players, but you're not affecting every player. So Seven Wonders, I think, is a great example of a mix of local scope and adjacent scope. Uh, You can't do anything that affects everybody. I mean, technically you can, in that you can bury a card in one of your wonders, and nobody else can use that card. And generally, technically that affects everyone else. But in terms of the global scope that we normally think about, that is not a game with any real traditional global scope, but it's got a great deal of local scope every time you play something in front of you. Uh, and then it's got a great example of adjacent scope because your choices will generally affect your neighbors. Either you give them money to buy their resources uh, or you play military that attacks them. Um, there's, or, or most importantly, whatever cards you pick will affect the choices of the players to your left or right, depending on what round you're in. So that's like the adjacent scope over there. And in a game like that, where there's a lot of local scope, a lot of adjacent scope, but not a lot of global scope, you'll see that that game is going to scale very well. And uh, Seven Wonders does scale very, very well. I'd say from four players to seven players. Three players is okay. Uh, Two players, you're better off playing Duel at this point. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's one more example I want to bring up, which I think is... Um, A fascinating example when it comes to player count, and that's Take It Easy. Um, You folks, uh, I don't know if you've seen a blog post that I wrote recently, but I defended games with uh, uh, low interaction, you know. Um, And that's generally games with uh, a lot of local scope. There isn't a lot of ways you can mess with the other players. Uh, And Take It Easy is a game that is... Almost entire. It actually is pretty much all local scope. Yeah, you're uh, all is,
0: building your own thing.
3: There is no interaction. There is literally no player interaction between everyone else. People say multiplayer solitaire, and they usually mean it in a pejorative sense. Take it easy is multiplayer solitaire, and it's fantastic. It's a very, very good game. Uh, and I think what, so some of the characteristics it has, because there is no player interaction, um, I've seen people... Host um, take it easy events at conventions where they tell everybody to bring as many copies of take it easy as they can, and then they have like a hundred-player game of take it easy, and you can do that because it's a locally scoped game. So the player, the the scaling is just about infinite. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's something you can do with a game that has that local scope. Now, of course, there's drawbacks. You can't really. It's tough to do a game with uh, only local scope that lasts more than twenty minutes because at some point you really want that juice. That other players give you, you want that chaos.
0: Absolutely, great stuff. Great stuff. I, I, actually, I wanna, I wanna hone in on, on one of the specifics you talked about there, and that was that player interaction, and specifically, we're talking about p- different player counts and thinking through, you know, games uh, from, from different varieties of numbers, different scopes, uh, and I wanna jump back to Jeremy and David and talk a little bit about this year. I mean, because especially now that Man versus Meeple. Uh, is going? You're really. Uh, how many episodes are you in now?
4: I counted this morning. We're over four, almost over forty.
0: Wow, that's incredible. Wow. Okay, so it. You know, you're forty episodes in already, which is incredible. And uh, I'm curious, like, out of those games that you've looked at, what are some of the games that have done a incredible job of player interaction? Uh, no matter what the the number is, that you you each have maybe found as your favorite and. Whoever has kind of thought of yeah. the answer first, jump in.
5: Yeah. I'd have to say just philosophically, uh, player, that's a kind of subjective question. Yes, for sure, absolutely. Depending on how much player interaction you like, I'd say, you know, we just played, and these are just recent memory. Uh, we just played energy empire, the new Manhattan project. Um, you know, it's worker placement and that innately is the sort of the level of player interaction. I like, um, where it's almost uh, often passive interaction, where I may go someplace and it blocks someone out, but I might not even that not, might not have been my point, but the other player still has to deal with it, whether it was my intent or not. I like that type of interaction. I'm less into games that uh, promote more or even revolve around making you want to hurt your opponents you know i i like trying to score my own points um and if it if i'm doing something that uh keeps some points from my other players that's great what i don't like is an I, i'm not a big fan of an even balance between uh when i'm looking at points i score and points i keep from my my opponent from scoring as equal right. i yeah. like the balance to weigh a little heavier towards what i'm doing and mm-hmm. if i can take a few away great sure. um So, Energy Empire was a good one. Um, There's a few... uh, Another great one that we played recently was Terraforming Mars, and Mm. there's not a lot of traditional player interaction in that, but again, the things that you're achieving on the board, you're almost doing all of the same things on the board, and depending on your timing in that game, you can really utilize the timing to sort of weasel in and get a spot on uh, or achieve something that maybe another player thought they were going to achieve on that very next turn. That that I like a lot.
0: Awesome. And uh, Jeremy, do you have any examples?
4: Uh, a couple, yeah. Um, I love Player Interaction. It's my, it's my absolute favorite. Um, I like pushing people out, I like taking their spots. I, mean, I enjoy that kind of stuff because it's give and take from the entire game. Blood Rage is a huge example of, of Player Interaction. It's, it's constant, it's always in your face. Now there's some newer games that we've reviewed that have Player Interaction, but they do it in a very fun and jovial type way, if that's even possible. But look at games that like Unfair. Um, which the whole theme is built around, uh, you know, an amusement park and these unfair cards that are unfair to everybody, including some of them that are unfair to your opponents. And then there's games like Clank, where you are basically racing through a dungeon using deck building and trying to get out of the, you know, the dungeon as quickly as possible and leave your your peers underground to suffer and die. Um, those have player interaction in a way, but they're done in such a way that. They're not so in-your-face. Now, the other game I want to reference is a game that's on Kickstarter called Chimera Station. That has some direct player interaction, uh, not only in blocking but pushing people out of spots. Um, I enjoy that. I love that. I gravitate towards games like that with Conflict, Cry Havoc, which is another uh, recently recently released game. Um, I not only like the, the non-conflict, but I like the direct conflict as well.
0: Absolutely. Well, the nice,
5: the nice thing too, if I might add, on Chimera yeah. Station, okay. when they mitigate uh, some of the impact of those moves. Uh, for instance, when Jeremy mentioned, you can knock people out of their spots. You know, in Chimera Station, it sends you to an area where you get a little extra, like consolation prize, if you will. So, it's not uh, that I find to make it a little bit more palatable for everyone. I like. I'm not a big fan of interaction myself. But I also play with a lot of people who are even less fans of interaction. So I'm never having, I don't have a lot of fun when I'm, for instance, with my girlfriend, if I'm playing a game and I do something interactive uh, that uh, impacts her game negatively, the game ceases to be as fun as it once was, generally speaking, (laughs) overall. Or the evening, for sure. (laughs)
4: yeah.
2: That's a little that's a little meta though right <laughs> sure. beyond sure. beyond
5: sure but that fun mm-hmm. factor is a big thing for me i i like I'm, I'm a big fan when everyone gets up from the table and had a good time you know regardless of of the details and mechanics of the game
1: speaking Agreed. of getting up from the table and everybody having a good time uh, that's a great segue, I feel, if there ever was one, to jump in and ask Gil about the game that you have coming to Kickstarter soon, which is Wordsy, which, interesting enough, supports one to six players, which really excites me considering all the conversations we've had about player counts and the difficulties of designing for
3: them. So, tell us more about Wordsy. Well, yeah, in terms of player counts, I'm really kind of nervous about it because it's, yeah, there it is. There's Wordsy. Uh, so I'm a little worried about it uh, in terms of it's one to six players. And uh, I think we've we, you've seen in this conversation, uh, we've said things like, well, it's three to five players, so that means it's more of like a... Um, that means it's, it needs more players or it's two to four, which means it's more strategic or it's six plus, which means it's party. Uh, pe- players, people make inferences about games just from the player count alone. Like they'll hear the player count. and They'll say, oh, it must be like X kind of game. Uh, so generally you'll see games that say there are two to six players on Kickstarter and you need to look at them and it's clear this game's going to play very poorly with 2, or this game's going to play very poorly with 6. So here I am going on Kickstarter with a 1-6 to six player game. But the thing is, it actually works really well with all those player counts, because it has mainly uh, local and adjacent scopes. You know, It doesn't have a lot of global scope, so it scales very, very well. And because it's a short game, it's only 20 minutes, uh, you're not going to miss that extra chaos, uh, that extra spice that the global scope will usually give you. So, for example, um, in the game, it's a word game where there's eight letters out on the board and you're, you come up with a word. You try to come up with the best possible word for that board. Uh, then whoever is the fastest player to come up with a word um, may get a bonus if, they, if their word is, is uh, equal to or better than half the other players. But if your word is better than the faster player's word, you get a bonus. So that's a great example, I think, of adjacent scope because it's not all the players playing against each other. The only global element is the board, but you're not – taking a letter doesn't prevent another player from taking a letter. So there's no real limitation there. Really, the scope is adjacent because it's just the adjacent player versus every other player um, at a time. So uh, if I'm not the fastest player, I'm still going to go up against the fastest player, but I'm not going to go up against any other player. And because of that, the game scales, scales really, really well. Now I based this game off of Prolix, my first published game, and that game had a global scope, because uh, when it was your turn, you'd come up with a word, but another player could interrupt you and take a word, uh, take the word from you. And that is global scope, because that board is shared. You know, while one player kind of has priority over the board, everybody else has a shot at it. As a result, the game only scaled to five players, and the five-player game I even had to write in the rule book was very nasty. Because a player could get interrupted multiple times and it didn't feel good. I recommend it only for experienced players. Whereas Wordsy plays great, up to six people, uh, and there's no warning necessary. Because the scope is most, mostly local and adjacent. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. I think it, it plays really, really well.
5: Excellent.
2: So uh, Gil, you need to write like a, a thesis or something on uh, scope. And you also need some... some patches on your elbow, because then
3: you get like the crazy professor. uh, Matt already wrote... uh, Matt and uh, the game designers of North Carolina have a great episode. Oh, perfect. They they call it scales. They call it decision scales. Uh, That episode came out like three or four weeks ago, but Matt Wolf and uh, game designers of North Carolina, uh, their podcast is really good. Really Really good good
0: episode. Really good episode.
2: Okay, so we're getting to our last question period of time. So I wanted to ask... Jeremy and David um, if you have any advice for new designers or you know people who haven't got published yet about game uh, Player number count. What would it be? We'll start with Jeremy Advice for new designers
4: um Make it always (laughs) (laughs) two-player It's it's gotta have a two-player count. Uh, no, I mean uh, the mechanics no matter what are, are what's going to drive the gameplay player count is really kind of irrelevant at the end of the game if the mecha- if the game just is not fun and or enjoyable uh and then you're gonna as gil said at the very beginning of this segment you have to scale it you, you have to design it with an idea in mind of what you're trying to accomplish whatever player that count that may be and then scale it down because if you scale it up you, it's i don't think it i don't think design i'm not a designer but i don't think design intrinsically in my head doesn't work that way making it a two-player and then trying to scale it up. You got you to go the other way with it. Um, but I would always consider a two-player game. I think you just broaden your audience when you add that two-player element. Once you lock yourself down into three, listen, I'm a reviewer, and I have games on my shelf that are three-player only games, they're going to go to the back of the list because it's, it's just not a wide audience of people that are going to watch that show because they just not a wide audience of people buy that type of game. So that would be my suggestion.
2: All right, and and David, sir. Yeah,
5: I, I would say one of the things, I mean, obviously this is from a consumer standpoint. I am not a game designer. So from a consumer standpoint, from an industry standpoint, I'd say one of the things that I've seen with player count is, and Jeremy and I have talked about this a lot actually, when we're playing a game and we see evidence that a lot of thought has been given to that scale, that's really meaningful to us as players because we've played a lot of games where all of a sudden we're looking at cards that are clearly not meant for a two-player game. You know, Mm -hmm. when you're getting X benefits based on the player count, um, a two-player game, those cards are awful in your hand. So, uh, like, for a good example, and I'm not just saying this because Gil is on, but I remember us having a conversation about the networks and all of the things in the networks that are built in uh, that you put in there to adjust for player count really, as soon as you see them, they seem like very clever and well-thought-out me- mechanisms to scale the game. And there are a lot of games out there that say two to four, and clearly uh, there is a lot of elements in a game that are meant for four-player, or at least become significantly weaker at two players.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
5: think that that's a, it's just a tell that maybe a lot of thought wasn't given uh, to scaling it, and they just kind of labeled it two to four players from a marketing standpoint. Um, so th- that's one thing I would that that's definitely one thing I would consider.
0: Absolutely, good advice there. Uh, I'm gonna, uh, Gil's used to this question on our show, but we are gonna we are gonna give him chance to also uh, give it focused on our topic today. I mean, uh, Gil uh, not only um, is a great designer, but he also likes to share. Uh, what he's learning through lectures and through a podcast, and I want to give you chance Gil, just to give a little plug of how people uh, can connect with you because you love encouraging new designers. I know that, and any oh, advice yeah. you might uh you might give uh new designers when it comes to uh, designing with player count in mind uh what what advice would you give and also give a shout out for uh, where people can find you
3: okay, so in that order first off um uh, you, uh, you've you heard two different things in this last hour, and they're almost contradictory. Uh, one thing is uh, don't lie about your player count. Like, if your game plays best two to four players, don't put two to six. If your game plays best three to four, don't put two to six. Uh, and that's that's important because... If you get your game says two players, people are going to play two players, and it better be good. You know, it better be really, really good. Uh, I've seen some boxes nowadays put three to four players, two-player variant, and that's a nice compromise because it alerts people that uh, you can technically play it with two, but the rules change enough that it may not feel as natural as the three to four-player game. That's not a bad compromise. So that's one side of things is don't lie, but the other side of things is Make the player count as wide as possible, uh, because once again, you heard Jeremy's point. He's not going to review any games that are three players only. Uh, obviously, that's an extreme example, but even a game that's three to four players is like limit is very limited. You know, you need to go in one direction, it, it, go the extra number in one direction. Either that three to four has to become two to four, or it's become three to five. Because if it's only three to four, that's extremely limited. Those two pieces of advice butt up against each other, you know, because the solution is not to just call that three to four player or two to four player game. People are going to find out right away. There has to be some way you can find, even if, if you put on the box three to four with a two player variant, that might be okay. Okay, uh, and uh, also, ways to find me. If you're not tired of me talking yet, uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, I believe my uh, little box over here says that information, at Gil Hova is how you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I've been blogging a little more lately, and I try, I'm going to try to continue doing that. Uh, so that is uh, gil.hova.net is my blog. I've got a post that I've been meaning to write lately, uh, so I'm trying to get that one out. Um... I also have a podcast as well called Breaking Into Board Games with Ian Zhang and Tony Miller, and we talk about uh, breaking into the board game business from the point of view of a designer, a developer, and a publisher. And I take on the publisher role because I self-publish, and uh, it's we have um, we were 28 episodes uh, d- done already, and we're going to have our next episode with Daniel Solis next week. <laughs> so next, so we drop every Wednesday. I'm sorry, every other Wednesday, every two weeks. Very cool.
1: Um, sweet. So I'm gonna break format a little bit. Zen, man, yes. Diane.
3: Oh, me too. Oh. Come let's, oh. on. let's, let's, come really out. let's
1: find out.
2: <laughs> So uh, I'm just, I'm gonna read down the list of names first, uh, just because I, I think everybody who applied for the game JoJo should get a little recognition,
4: yeah. and
3: then I,
2: I've, I've, I've actually picked four people.
4: Four! Wow!
2: Now, Now, no, just so you know, just so you know, as a Chinese person, four is a very bad number. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this may go Don't quite slow. would be three.
2: This may go do quite slow. five! Sad. I, I I don't have the time to do five. I'm not even sure I have the time to do four. It's but really, we're going to try to make it. But it's two
3: it. times two. It's two times two. It's not four.
2: <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks for putting that it's into respect. the
3: luck. <laughs> My pleasure.
2: Okay. So, well, actually, it'd be half the luck because eight is the lucky number. Anyway, so thanks to Ian Armstrong, Tony Miller, Chad Nolan, Eric Teo, Ryan Shun, John Schultz. Schulters. Oh, man, there's so many of them. Uh, This is... Hassam, Malhijan, oh, what is this name? I can't even read this. Um, Oh, it's a really long one. Trevor Wills, Paul Becker, Kellen Freeman, Mark Richardson, Matthew Sanchez, Ian Bruckelbank, Jeffrey Foxwell, Bane Williams, Bill Corey, Chris Rollins, Dave Shepard, Bob Wyman, Matthew Gravelin, Joshua Jones, Scott Starkey, Devin Weir, Theo, I can't pronounce your name, uh, Rob Dolan, Jeff LaFlamme, Aaron Wilson, Darren Broad, Joshua Gimier, Stephen Wilheim, Devin Stinchcomb, Tyler Lipchin, Steve Kyrez. Who's that guy?
3: Uh, some guy.
2: Yeah, some guy. So those are all the applicants. There's
3: like 36 of them. Hey, Sen, Sen, I've got a question.
2: Sure, sure, sure. What's that?
3: What is Game Dojo?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Game Dojo is where I'm going to basically mentor some... New designers who haven't really got their break yet. Um, I've been blessed by being lucky uh, a lot of times in the game industry. Um, you know, a very lucky thing that happened to us was being invited to Alan R. Moon's <laughs> Gathering of Friends and that kind of led to everything that happened in my life uh, in the recent uh, you know last five years and so i mean daryl can attest to that kind of thing that you know going to the gathering is awesome but then also you know i was daryl's mentor for the game artisans of canada and look at him now he's awesome <laughs> and he was great before but he's even better now um through the process that we use in Game Artisans, uh, the mentorship process. And I thought, well, you know what, it's kind of, you know, nationalistic to just limit it to Canadians. So I thought, let's go beyond that and see if there's other people who need assistance because they just can't seem to get their foot in the door or something like that. And if there's anything I can do in terms of putting people together or giving advice, then I would gladly do that for them. Uh, And so I opened the contest or the application process to people who haven't been published before who, um, you know, I would prefer it's people that I know but don't know so well that I see them on a weekly basis anyways or they have access to me in other means. Um, And so there's some people on the list who, you know, I love you guys, you're my best friends in some ways, but I can't, I'm not going to do the game dojo with you. You can just talk to me one on one because you have my Mm -hmm. phone number and you come to my house and play games. And so. You're off, the, you're off the dojo list, but, you know, you're in my heart somewhere. Um, and then there's some people who applied that have games published already. And that, to me, is, is, you know, one step beyond where I want it to go. So it's not a disrespect to your game design ability or your game idea. It's just I want to help people who haven't been there yet, who really are on the cusp. Um, not because... Uh, you don't need assistance, but because they really do. And so in, in regards to that, here are the four, count them four people that I did pick to work with. And there's there's a little bit of, of um, my own bias in whom I picked. It's because I'm interested in their projects, interested in them as people and interested in what I can learn from the project as well. So it's not all altruistic, sorry. There's some of it that's a bias on my part. So uh, the first one, if you guys give me a drum roll, um, I picked uh, Ryan Shun, uh, who's making a game about privatized first responders, which sounds really cool to me. Also, Ryan has a lot of experience in RPGs, whereas that's something I'm getting into. So I thought, you know, this might be mutual beneficial, that I can help him with that. He can help me with the RPG stuff. Uh, Bob Wyman is a college professor. I'm also a college professor, and he teaches in a STEM class. He's making a game called Outlast, and I'm always, always interested in the use of games in education. So that's uh, somebody I would really like to assist in seeing where we can take that type of thing. Uh, Devin Stinchcomb is making a game about time travel, and time travel is the freaking holy grail of game design for me. Uh, pretty much. Uh, I've never been able to come up with something that's time travel related, so I'd love to help somebody else do it. And then, again, some Steve Karez guy. Honestly, no. and it's not because, Tiff, Tiff, it's, it has nothing to do with you. Oh no, <laughs> I don't know Steve as
3: much. Yay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, You
2: know what it was? You what? know what it is? It's the freaking name of the game. It just made me laugh.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> Steve's game is called Hand Solo. And it's it's so another good. Another reason is because it's a solo game, and I've honestly wanted to – and I'm trying to make a solo game as well, and I want to see what the thought process is going into making something like a solo game. So anyways, those are the four people that I'll get in contact with you guys uh, off this off this stream and we'll start talking about how we're gonna work out the game dojo. So congratulations to Ryan, Bob, Devin, and Steve. Be expecting a call or sorry an email from me in the near future. And to all the other applicants, your applications were awesome. I loved reading through them. And you know, hopefully we'll get to work together in the future. There may be game dojo too, who knows?
0: Excellent. Awesome. awesome stuff. So I um, uh, just uh, want to say thank you again uh, as well as was Sen. Just uh, thank you for applying, and uh, stay tuned uh, for those designers and the other designers that applied, what might come out for them. Before we uh, disappear, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't give uh, Jeremy and David uh, just a, a quick second to give a plug of what upcoming uh, episodes are coming up with Man vs. Meeple. I'm a big fan, so even just spoiler alert. Yeah, uh just knowing uh, I would be excited about. It. So uh, do one of you wanna give us just a, a little heads up uh and sure. and Take tell away, people Jeremy. where they can find you? Yeah, uh
4: you can find us of course on YouTube at Man versus Meeple. Uh check us out on Twitter at Man versus Meeple uh, and Facebook as well. Uh, we always give do contests for our reviews. We always give away free copies, so make sure that you guys make comments on Facebook to be entered into that. And what do we have coming up? Uh, we are playing Oracle uh, <laughs> delphi today which is the new field game
5: that one's kind of gone to the top of the list right at the moment
4: yeah yeah um and then hopefully in the next week we'll get some uh great western trail which is new alexander fister game
0: game. and hopefully
4: the new jordic
0: um also a good game nice the Spiel slash strongholds
4: yeah i'm i'm a i'm a huge euro guy so when people throw worker placements and euros in my face they go to the top of the list
0: yeah well hopefully you'll enjoy them i'm a little biased but i got to play test those and uh i'm a big fan of of them so uh i just want to say thank you uh gil always a pleasure we always love having you on the show and jeremy and david this is a pleasure (laughs) to have you on as well uh give a nice, a uh, little different perspective from the reviewer side. We love what you're doing and uh, keep up the great work. It's Thank not you only right. Thank you. Viewers, but great quality and uh, just a huge uh, addition to the, to our hobby. And uh, we really appreciate that. So great. Um, great. for you. any, any of our uh, viewers, if uh, you have any suggestions for future episodes or if you're looking to see what's going on, uh, you can check us out at the Uh, You can find us on YouTube or on Twitter. We love interacting with uh, any of our viewers. If you uh, have questions, don't feel like the dojo is the only way that you can get our help. We love interacting uh, in small ways, whatever way we can, uh, with uh, designers out there. Uh, and meanwhile, just keep making great games, and we look forward to playing your games soon. Have a great day. Let's dance. Jeremy?
4: <laughs> <laughs>